You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Now, before we get into this conversation with the brilliant Reese Nicholson, uh, I'm just going to quickly tell you more about my Soho run. It's the conclusion of the tour. It's from the 30th of May to the 3rd of June. So if you'd like to see the final five shows of Compared to What, after some 70 performances all over the world, you can come to Soho Theatre. Go to SohoTheatre.com to get your tickets. The show is called Compared to What, and you can use the discount code VERA, V-E-R-A, all in capitals, in order to get your discount. If you would like to tweet the ticket link on my ComComPod biog, at ComComPod, there's a ticket link there uh, to the Soho Theatre thing. Tweet it with your best insult of me, a three-word insult. If you'd like to tweet the phrase, Stuart Goldsmith is a, and then your most creative three-word insult, and then the ticket link, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Why don't we see how many people do that? Especially if you're a comedian listening to this with a large Twitter following, and you would like to consider yourself a super goldsmith. Don't forget, of course, the Joe Brand episode live at Soho on the 5th of June. That one is nearly sold out, so get in quick. Now, ladies and gentlemen, very pleased to bring you uh, a recording from the Melbourne Comedy Festival, non-live. This is uh, a little cheeky, non-live, non-audience recording uh, with a wonderful comedian who I've been enjoying for a long time. His name is Reese Nicholson, and you will remember him if you've been around the Edinburgh Festival the last few years. He's the guy who dresses like Crispin Glover. He goes for the kind of white tux, specs, red hair. We talk a lot about his appearance. We talk about the relationship between his appearance and drag. Uh, we talk a lot about his uh, his experience as a comedian, and we talk a lot about where he's going and who he is as a person as well. And uh, I think this is a, a really exciting one. So I'm not going to say any more now. Let's get stuck into this episode with Reese Nicholson. My plan was to start with the show because I saw the show last night, and it's yes. excellent. Thank it was you. Excellent. Were Thank you, you happy with it? Um, it was, last night was a bit of a, there's been nights that I've been happy with this show it's um, it's yeah it's, I, I, I'm happy with it last night was fun I'm in the pit now we're in the last week of the festival and I, it's just in my head so I'm just I can just do it but be still having fun with it I'm not sick of it yet by the time we're into show 70 I'll be like a bit dead in the eyes um but that's why that's why I like doing Edinburgh again because you can swap stuff around and, and you have to change things so then you're constantly thinking again. But no, I, I do, I do. I, I think I enjoyed. I'm enjoying it more than last year's. Like last year's show went better, but I was kind of scared of it <laughs> a little bit. Like the show was a little bit. It was doing well and I didn't know why. <laughs> and so this year I'm kind of like, oh well, we'll see. And this is fun and I'm just having fun. And that doing was it. were you nominated last year yeah. for an award for the Barry? Yeah. So. It was doing well, and you didn't know why. Do you know why now, looking back? No, on and that's why at the at the start of this season, I wasn't having fun. When I was writing this show, I was like, because yeah, last year just kicked off, and I had no, and so and you enjoy it when it's happening, but then you afterwards you're like, so if I was to recreate that somehow, yeah, <laughs> what was it about that show? Okay, 
And you um, don't know? I have no idea. And it's gone fine. Like, people have been... It's been reviewed fine. I've had a couple of those weed reviews that are like... Which I don't take reviews seriously at all. It's the one thing I've always been able to avoid. Like, I read them, but they don't... If, like, three reviews say a particular thing, I'm like, oh, okay. But um, I've had a couple of reviews that have been like, not as good as last year. I'm saying, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Did my best. Don't know what you want from me. But yeah. And where are we in terms of your career? How many shows have you done? Well, it depends what you think a show is. Um, I've done six shows, but three of them were just um, just an angry man standing on stage being, <laughs> being very angry at four people at a time. Um, yeah, I, I think I probably started to work out what I'd do maybe three years ago, but I've done six shows. And, that, I mean, that's a really... I, I, I always balk at asking someone what kind of comic they are, because <laughs> it's the perfect opportunity, because you've just said, I've worked out what I do. Yeah. So what do you do? Um, oh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you clearly do. Um, you worked out. You worked it out. So tell us what you well, worked out. Well, I think... No, it's like... I mean, I, I shouted at the word voice, but... Um, because I don't know why I find that such a wanky term, but um, um, but I, I think I do um, camp. I what like I can say what I try and do, which is my onstage character ugh, is like an idiot who um, is like, but an idiot who um, like I try and hide little smart jokes amongst like just dumb broad jokes. Like and I, there's nothing I like more than um, just going off. Like I like I like loud noises and like a lot of movement. And I like, but I also like doing kind of like we were just talking about this joke about a serial killer. And I like being able to just in the middle of a joke just go bang serial killer or like talk about race things or talk about. Last year the whole show was about marriage equality, but it was just as many jokes about my dick as anything else. So I don't know. I like. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like I was just talking myself in a circle then. I've no, what, what do you think I do? Well, I, I think you... The point I was leading around to was I was... I, so I brought my partner last night. I yeah. brought my fiancé. And it was on... It was like one of the three shows she's going to see here because she's yeah. at home parenting. Yeah. And uh, the way I said, oh, you, you're going to love this. The way I sold it to her, <laughs> and forgive me if this is the wrong approach, no, please. I said, it's kind of almost drag. Yes. Like the things she likes about drag are the things she, uh, yes. I was right, she loved your show. Yes. I would, uh, yes. That would be something, because I, I wear, a, I like shiny things and I wear a lot of makeup. Like it's an image that I've built over a few years. Like it's grown, like I used to just wear makeup because I had shitty skin and now I've started to wear it because I want to look almost like ethereal isn't the right word. Hyperreal something. Yeah, yeah. Like and I draw Archetypal. on, yeah, I draw on cheekbones and I like wear like, I have a lot of mascara on and um, and I paint my nails and stuff. And yeah, it's kind of, yeah, hyper-real is probably like mannequin-esque. I almost want to be kind of genderless in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. not that, but like, it's clear I'm a boy, but I talk a lot about sex, but I want to almost seem sexless. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah, and I think you're... Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed there was no white tux. I'd specifically yeah. start with the white tux. <laughs> you look, it was a three-piece. It looked great. Um, and w I only discovered very recently that your glasses don't have lenses in them. Yeah, that's another thing as well. That's a... Which I don't... It's not, I, I explained it once to someone. Um, I want to I look like Pee Wee Herman without the irony. Like... <laughs> Like the like, I'm saying everything that Pee Wee Herman is alluding to, and it's that thing. It's all I'm all one color. I'm very rosy cheeked, very kind of like, 
but I'm talking about dildos and filth and stuff. Okay, and I, I mean, I don't know, like, you are definitely filthy, but I don't want people listening to this who don't know you to think that you're, you are merely I'm a not smut offensive. You're No, you're not offensive, and I think there's a lot more, there's, a, there's more stuff in your show that isn't filthy, that is just lacerating. Yeah. It's like it's not filthy specifically, you're skewering things and people and events and yourself. Yeah. So... Even, I mean, the, my, <laughs> this is a terrible example. You've got a routine about blowing someone yeah. and making yourself physically sick. Yeah, and vomiting on the dick. It, that is a bad example of you not being filthy. But yeah. the story, it's not just a gross-out story. There's a gross-out element to it. Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff going on in that story about who you are and what your life is like. Yeah. yeah. Not, not what your life is like. Constantly no, no, blowing no. guys on yeah. tennis courts. Yeah. But, um, you know, we there, there is a really... There is a really human side to it and a very vulnerable side to it that I think is... I'm not going to say it's not present in drag, but yours is... Oh, I'll get in trouble if I say it's kind of deeper or richer than drag. That's not fair. I've seen some really rich drag. <laughs> I've seen some really deep kind of drag. But but I think also... it's I'm, The point I'm trying to make is... You do. You can play gross out. Yes, there's a lot more going on than that. Yes, that's, I think the danger is for my listeners that haven't seen you is that you be so def- self-deprecating about it. You just come across like a filth merchant. Yeah, no. Which I mean, I'll be like my main thing is I like to be likable on stage. Like I, I think that's something I've always been able to get away with, according to reviews at least. Is that there's no even I can be saying, and I don't know how I how I've done it, but I can talk about pretty brutal things. And the audience never... I've never really had an audience in, this, in the, at least in the last few shows, like, turn on me. They might not find something funny, but I've never had it. I don't feel like I've, I... I try my hardest not to have an audience go, oh, come on, and, like, get angry at me as a, as a before, like, get angry, angry at my act, which is something... I, I just don't like the idea of, you know... I'm not a... I like to push buttons in other ways, more about expectation than... Um, which is a wanker way to put it, but, you know, what I mean? it's like I like to... I'm comedy first, I guess is the way to put it. Like, I want to be funny first and then secondly make people go like, oh, that's interesting. Yes. When I walked into the room 20 minutes ago, I was really surprised to see the real Oh, uh, yeah, Cause with I, none of the shit on. With none of the shit on. I've seen you a few times, bumped into you socially. Oh, I saw you after your gig last night, so you mm-hmm. were still in your gear. And, uh, and I saw you after a gig at Max Watts in the festival club. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the last time I saw you in you probably, civvies. Yeah, you've probably maybe never seen... I, I've had friends, like close friends that I've known for years and who have never seen me out of it because I only ever see them around show business. Um, yeah, whereas like... And it's, but it's a big part of it. Like it's the... I take, I take an hour if I've got the time. I can do it in about 20 minutes. But it's like I put on a TV show and I like put on the face. It takes about... That, that takes about... 20 minutes half an hour to like get it all right which sounds so dumb but the same thing but then drag queens take you know two and a half hours which blows my mind um I wanted to be a drag queen if like if if like if comedy hadn't have worked out I my my mum says that when I was about six I saw I saw bits of Priscilla Queen of the Desert that I probably shouldn't have seen at that young and my parents like they're both they're artists so they I saw the Rocky Horror when I was young and I remember just going like this is amazing. Like anything, any, like I remember thinking a drag queen was someone who could be a boy and a girl. And I was yeah. just in my mind, my, you know, six to eight year old mind was like, well, that, why wouldn't you do that all the time? Yeah. We're at a dinner party 
And I, someone said this standard question, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a drag queen. <laughs> and it just kind of went a bit quiet. <laughs> but I used to, yeah. I and st- so you shall. Yeah, exactly. And, but yeah, I don't, um, and I still talk about, a friend of mine, Joel Creasy, who's another comedian, we both love drag very much. And we always talk about one night we're both just going to do it. <laughs> like, just get a friend of ours to do something and go out. Because it's just, yeah, it obsesses me. Because they, they, they're very powerful in like a, um, when I, when I was like growing up going to gay bars, which isn't really my scene anymore, but um, it was like just how there's this universe inside a gay bar or inside kind of drag clubs where they are like the queens of it. Like they, you always see them sitting on a bar and they get free drinks and they can boss people around. Like sec- the, even the security guards don't fuck with them. Like it's just this very interesting, and they get in places for free. And I don't, and it's just a whole and it's. I'm, I love RuPaul's Drag Race just because it's um, it knows exactly what it is. It's like the best bad TV show on yeah, television. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Constant <laughs> winking. Yeah, I just love it. I just love it because it just doesn't take itself seriously. And it's the original... Um, how does RuPaul put it? It's like... It's almost the original punk. But now we just see it as this campy thing. But... Can you imagine, like, in the 70s, like, being a man dressed as a woman in New York or something? Like, it'd yeah, be... Right. Yeah, Anyways, I just find, I find it very... And that's why I like all the makeup and stuff. I feel like that... I like wearing it because it's a bit of a fuck you sometimes, especially when I'm in small country towns and stuff, which is what a lot of what I do. Okay, okay. Um, I want to come back to that... that I mean, I'm really fascinated. Sorry, I'm by hopping that all idea. over the place. No, 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 totally fine. We'll, we'll, I, I'm just trying to mark things. Okay, we'll come back to that in a bit. Um... In terms of the, do you do you refer to him as the character? You, I feel like you did then. Is that no? Like, I mean, no. Like, it is me. It's not. You know, it's just an exaggerate. Like, like all stand up. Like, it's. I'm not. I'm definitely not. You know, a character in that. What would he say in this situation? Like, I'm. I'm me when I'm on there, and so I. But I, I definitely. Uh, if I'm writing, there are choices. Like, it's. I, I always think of it as. It's like. Uh, what I do in stand up, and um, if I, you know twist stories in different ways and stuff I do I, I paint like what I would have preferred to have done in that situation or um, yeah I, I, I say things on stage that I wish I had said in real life I guess is again a very wanky way to say it. no not at all and do you do you kind of then disavow them and like a lot of comics will do that and then they'll get a topper by going oh that isn't really what I said I feel yeah. like you, do you do that or do you kind of let it stay there like yeah that's fine no, I will often, like, yeah, I'll correct myself. Like, there's no big lies in this show. I've had shows before where there are big lies. Like, just whole conceits of shows being You've not actually for marriage equality. No, yeah. no, way against it. Although oh, I, the, the racism bit last night. Sorry, I, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to celebrate that bit, but tell me what you were going to say, although... Well, um, the, because it was a, there was a big moment in Australia last year where we were going to do a plebiscite, like, vote for marriage equality, and I was touring a show about how we didn't have marriage equality, and, I'd be, and, I'm, and I'm engaged to a man. There was, like, a split second where I was like, it'd be good if it didn't pass till after August. <laughs> Because then I'm going to have to change the end of the show and it's going to be such a difficult show to fix. And ugh, <laughs> let's just not have it for another year and I can make some money. But I didn't really think that. But um, On the subject of marriage briefly, did you marry Zoe Coombs' mum? I did. I married a lesbian last year. Um, here at the, well, yeah, we, we signed paperwork. It was never filed. But we did it as, like, that was kind of big, okay. not the point. But, yeah, Ma- um, Zoe Coombs' mum, who's an incredible... She was just in the UK, I think. Yes, um, I missed her because I had to tour and then I clashed with her exactly here and I think she's finishing this show. I'm so desperate to see Trigger yeah. Warning. 
and uh, I don't think I have a single opportunity. It's very She's, frustrating. It's online. It should be is on. It? It'd be on iView, which is our like ABC. Oh, that's great. Okay, yeah, good. So it'll be. I think because it was on TV the night, so it's probably still on iView at the moment. Okay. Um, uh, but like always, like I've seen that show a couple of times now. She does this. So I'll explain. Zoe does this character called Dave, who is. Um, the worst Australian comedian, basically. Like, half our comedians are called Dave here. And it's uh, it's just, as a young... Like, I, if I had watched this show three or four years ago, it would have hurt my feelings, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, you? Even you? Yeah, oh, all the tropes. All the, like... Um, just the way that she does crowd work and the what, saying, so I'm single, and, like, every open mic male comedian... Has, who's single has done that at some point do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean like yeah. we've all had the um, casting a net yes yeah. and um, just the she has this great thing maybe it wasn't this show it was the last show that she did as Dave like 20 like oh no maybe 10 minutes in asking the tech how long she'd been on like we've all <laughs> yeah, done that with your first show just yeah. kind of like <laughs> come on let's just get to 45 minutes and I can get off um uh, and anyway, so she, but we've, we've been quite good friends for a few years and we, she was dressed as Dave. We were in Edinburgh year before last, very drunk. And she was at the end of Dave, she's quite often covered in fake blood and fake vomit. And I was in a suit and we walked past a mirror and I said, Oh, we look like the worst wedding toppers <laughs> of a gay wedding cake. And we laughed. Anyway, we went and got drunk more. Woke up the next day, um, went and had breakfast and she said, I've had this idea. We should get married as like because she's been with her partner for seven years I've been with my partner for seven years I mean she's like it's very funny that like it, or it's interesting that we can't get married to our partners but we can legally marry each other we should just do it and make it a big charity event and I was like yeah it's a great idea and the Melbourne Comedy Festival we pitched it to them and we were thinking they probably wouldn't go for it because it's a government run festival they just were like yes and just went balls deep in it <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly we had like a production team and like she for my um uh, engagement present Zoe gave me framed we like over beers and ramen wrote the script for the wedding on a napkin like literally on like a pool piece of like paper towel and so I've got that now like the yeah it was just a really like it was it was probably the most important thing I'm ever going to do in comedy like it never it never doesn't come up in interviews or it was just this like insane idea that just kicked off and it was in five national papers and like it was all over the online here. It kind of was, it was it made some international news as well. But yeah, it was just really out of nowhere. And we were so scared of it when it, the day came because it just turned, turned into this thing. Okay. That we were like, like, it, you know, it's not as big as I'm probably making it sound, but it, 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 it it was national news. What were you scared of on the day when you said you were scared? Because it was so loaded. And if we, cause it was very silly as well. There was really poignant parts. Hannah Gadsby did the opening speech and we kind of said to her, just write like, five minutes just do gear if you want but just open she was the MC of the wedding and um she did it's online she did like five five or seven minutes of the most poignant like which is you know the kind of stuff that's probably going to win at the Barry this year um uh just this incredible funny but really dark speech about marriage equality and um about uh yeah just equality generally and it was people were just like bawling <laughs> within the first five minutes of the show and as soon as that happened we were like okay this is alright but we also had like a brawl planned like in the audience <laughs> and we had like sugar glass bottles like smashing over each oh, other and fantastic um, she had a fake 
she has this pipe going up the back of her head so blood started pouring down her face and I had a capsule in my mouth that turned into fake vomit so I see the blood coming down her face and then I threw up on her (laughs) and um, we had uh, Anne Edmonds and Greg Larson and Damien Power who were playing these characters last year they did this show that won awards called um, True Australian Patriots which was a parody of racist groups in yes, Australia. I heard someone told me about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I missed that. And they, so then they came up on stage and were like shouting lefty scum, lefty scum, and people were beating the shit out of them. It was just, and, but then we also had a, a, a choir sing True Colours while we signed the set. Like just this really odd, very strange. Um, we had um, Judith Lucy and Denise Scott, who are two quite well known comedians here were the flower girls and so they were ribbon dancing but they were these kind of 60 year old flower girls <laughs> yeah it was just it was really like special is the only way like it was and I can say that because I was only I was part of the writing and I was I had about three lines in the actual show but Zoe was kind of the hive mind of it and it was just really fun to be taken along and you didn't file it because the job was done at that point yes the spectacle it wasn't was done it had been in the paper yeah Hannah even said in the show if you're wondering whether this is a real wedding or not, you, you've missed the point. Um, but, uh, yeah, and we thought about... But it only occurred to me... It, it occurred to both of us watching an episode of Transparent for some reason, where there's an episode where someone gets married and they decide they don't want to get married, so they just don't file the paperwork. And we looked it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, because we, we had a lot of trouble finding a celebrant. Because if we had have quietly gone together to do it, it's totally legal. Yeah. But it's the making a mockery of the of the institution of marriage. Oh, I see. And uh, we would have had to have get, get a celebrant that would lose their licence. Okay. Like, in a heartbeat. Okay. But, yeah, so we just decided we'll sign the paper. And we had a real celebrant, but, and, but he, we'll just sign the paperwork but not file it on Monday. So if you're at a wedding, <laughs> that person is not actually married, ah, <laughs> which blows my mind. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had a joke Getting as well. Getting married myself in two months. Yeah. Useful. Uh... Yeah, you got 48 hours. <laughs> um, and we, but we also had a joke, like, you know, we said, you know, we're not legally not allowed to make a public mockery of marriage in front of a celebrant, so we put a blindfold and big earmuffs on the celebrant throughout the first 20 minutes. So there was just this, all this debaucherous, crazy shit going on with just this man in the corner of the stage, blindfolded, just staring off into the distance, not knowing what's going on. It's it was great fun. So this is Reese, and remember, Reese is going to be at the Edinburgh Festival this year, so please do go along and see his show. I cannot recommend his act enough, as you heard me say in that first section, just that five minutes or ten minutes that I saw him do for a, a TV taping. He just blew everyone else off the stage. He was just absolutely tremendous. Such dense, fast, multiple punchlines on punchlines on punchlines, and, and with such a coherent character. Really exciting to watch. Now, on the subject of Edinburgh, do me a favour. You all know I'm going to be at the Liquid Rooms at 3.45pm daily. Uh, on the free fringe but remember to turn up early and bring money the show is called Like I Mean It the finishing touches are being put as we speak to all the promotional gubbins um, and that is the show that won best new show at the Leicester Comedy Festival this year so I'm very excited about that um, I would like to make sure given that so few uh, broadsheets review comedy anymore and those that do I, I feel like I've got some relationship with but there's a lot of comedy bloggers out there some of whom I know about some of whom I don't know about if you're a blogger if you're a reviewer 
viewing at Edinburgh, if you fancy coming to see the show, get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com, and let's see if we can rustle up some sort of advanced publicity. Why not use the wheels of this great machine I've created to, uh, to crush me beneath a tide of, of, uh, of emails? That was such a good improvised analogy until I confused uh, a machine with a tide. Anyway, uh, get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com. On that subject, you can, you can get in touch with me on any subject. Uh, a sculptor has got in touch. This is Nicola. She says, I really enjoyed a long email from Nicola. Um, the bit I wanted to read out is, um, she says, I find your podcast really reflective. The common denominator for success within your industry seems to be honesty and integrity. Ha <laughs> ha, what little you know. It's, it's exactly the same in the art world, she says. So I found the parallels fascinating. Sarah Pascoe drew a huge counter conclusion. Now, I mean, it's been years since that episode went out, but I should have pointed out at the top, Nicola has uh, just completed listening to every single episode in two weeks, which is incredible going and not to be recommended. She says, Sarah Pascoe drew a huge counter-conclusion that sculptors and comedians are totally different breeds. I found quite the opposite to be true, and although I appreciated what she was getting at, she is totally wrong. Ha <laughs> ha. She goes on to say, at one point I concluded that I should give up sculpture and become a comedian, but then I remembered we need money, and well, I'm not funny. Very tempted, though. Now listen, this is where the new comedy experiment that I'm running comes into its own. This is called Everyone's a Comedian. I launched it on the show last uh, week, and uh, I'd like to... Re- we've, had, we've had a load of people already get in touch. So if you are someone like Nicola, who enjoys the show, appreciates the creativity, occasionally has funny ideas, or maybe thinks that you aren't funny, but maybe you'd like to find out whether an idea of yours could be, let me be your mouthpiece. Let me be your spokesperson artist. Spokes artist? I don't know what it is. And I tell you what, I did an interview about this concept. Someone rung me up uh, for, a, for a blog about this, um, uh, about the, the concept of this, this show, and already I found like I was wildly improvising. I hadn't expected anyone to, to sort of uh, take care beyond, beyond, beyond you guys. It's not official. It's not officially in the, in the Edinburgh Fringe guide, but I, I do think it's uh, maybe a, a first in the world kind of thing. So I should have been prepared for it. But um, uh, they had lots of questions about it, and most of them I answered by going, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it would be fun to do. Um, I feel like I'm probably laying myself open to the, uh, uh, the accusations from other comedians of wanting to steal the ideas of everyone in the, in, in the world, but it, that's not what it's about for those of you who weren't listening last week or haven't caught up with that one yet um the show is called everyone's a comedian i'm doing it at a top secret date and location and you know in the comedy world whenever anyone says top secret it means they don't know yet um and uh, i am going to perform an hour of your material so you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash experiment and submit your ideas for jokes ideas for stories half a one-liner an idea you've been toying with for years maybe every time you see a wishing well you think something funny about wishing wells and you and you say it to your friend and they go well, we've heard you say that it's not funny but you think it is let's not forget Stu's great egg box joke this is my favorite one of my favorite ever jokes which is simply that i like to um to digress briefly what i like to do whenever i buy eggs and the person at the checkout opens the egg box i like to lean in and say to the eggs all right lads I tried that for years. It wasn't funny for years. And it probably wasn't funny when I just delivered it then. But it bloody worked in the, in the tour shows, oh, in, the, in the Edinburgh show a couple of years ago. So um, if there's a little thing like that that just always makes you snigger, that's the sort of thing. And I would like a broad church here. So if your stuff is surreal, if it's whimsical, if it's observational, if it's truth about you alone in your room being the king of pain, as, as Rollins was fond of saying, then... Um, 
then I want to hear that stuff. Comedianscomedian.com forward slash experiment. Of course, it goes without saying, if you are a comedian, a professional, a newbie comedian, if you've ever set foot on a stage, you are disqualified from entering. Someone on the, the Comedians Comedian Facebook group uh, said they've never felt so proud to be disqualified, which I take to mean, obviously, they've done a gig or two and are quite chuffed with that. So this is about giving a voice to people who otherwise would not have the opportunity to share their funny ideas. I don't know. Is it going to work? Is it going to be awful? I don't know. I just had the idea and then I couldn't not do it. So uh, I, I think it is in, in keeping with the tone of this show. So I think it's fun. People have already submitted stuff, so you can too. Now, um, let's get on with it. That's, that's all I need to say right now. You can donate. You know all about that. But let's get back to this conversation with the fascinating and very funny and very charming Reese Nicholson. <laughs> Let's come back to you. You've spoken a bit about the character, and yeah. you, that, what, who I'm calling the character. Yeah. But, um, you like my art. What is it? <laughs> You're quite the character, aren't you? <laughs> what a card. I wanted to ask, when you said you were talking about the, the, the comparison with Pee Wee Herman, you said, I wanted to do like Pee Wee Herman, but explicit you know making yeah. explicit the things that are, that are, that are implicit. Probably who Paul Rubens really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. So, when you say I wanted to do that, why? Why? What is it that 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 those that you decided to use all of those components? I love um I love like the makeup came from I love old and the suits as well. I love old showbizness, like the kind of the Joan Crawford scary two inches of makeup kind of look and the you see all those old like headshots of that time and so they look and they look really odd it looks strange now very thick eyebrows and really and so I like that so I want it to be and look if I'm honest as well the look also comes from in a lineup of you know 14 male comics it, it makes you like if you're the one with bright red hair and a weird face and a sparkly suit on it makes you like they might not remember what your name is but they're like you know the red the gay one <laughs> and so it was it helped with kind of branding and stuff like that and I also love one of my favourite comedians is Paul F. Tompkins and he does a similar, like, similar always look. Always a bow tie. Always yeah. a bow tie, always dressed up. And I like dressing up for show business because to me it's like, I, even, I love being in the shittiest room, stinky, bad Edinburgh wall dripping with condensation and still in like a, like a white tux. Like, hey guys, I'm doing this for you. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's easy. And to be honest, you get away with more on stage. I've said some heinous things on stage before that I can get away with because... And things that I mean, but things that you usually... You know, a guy in a flannelette shirt and jeans might not be able to get away with. And yeah, that sounds horrific, me, like, nutting it out like that, going, oh, I've made these choices so I can say horrible things. <laughs> no, I don't be, think that sounds... Uh, that sounds uh, but if I'm honest, I'd say that's probably it. Like, I love... And I, I and to be honest, the makeup as well started because I had bad skin. <laughs> and I wanted, And it just grew and grew and grew. And I like... Yeah, it's very... Um, odd high fashion is the wrong word but odd looking and it's it throws people off their guard it, I, th I think that aspect of throwing people off their guard I think it's to do with or I wonder if it is to do with power yeah and in the same way that drag can yes. do with power like you've discussed the drag queens in the bar drag queens walking down the street looking so powerful no one's yeah. attacking them yeah because actually they've gone so like to the average potential aggressor, they look so 
kind of it's this mixture it's of fierce it's where the fierce the word like because let's fierce, the drag yeah, queen yeah. say a lot that like, you're looking fierce idiot like i want to look i'm in like very well cut suits and um i have long legs so i wear like long black pants to make my legs look longer and i wear a lot of shiny things and i make my cheeks really sharp and my eyes quite big and i wear these glasses like yeah it's like a and big hair i used to have huge hair i used to like tease it up until these huge quit i look back on it and think no you shouldn't have been doing that but um yeah it's to be like otherworldly i guess could you do the act dressed as you are now i don't think so parts of it but it'll be toned down a lot like i don't wear it when i'm doing new material okay lowers it i've even started recently wearing a pair of overalls when i do new material because it, it's like what's the opposite of a suit <laughs> a farmer um yeah i look like i'm running my hands over barley or something um yeah so it's no i, I don't think i could but then it's in the same way like because you know that whole thing where like some comics will say like i've had i'm not shit in the years but i've had like people kind of insinuate that like half my act is the look and as if like all comics aren't wearing some sort of costume in some way, which is in the same way, you know, like the guy wearing a hoodie and three quarter pants on stage also wouldn't be able to do their act in my outfit. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like it's the, it's, I, I think it's, we're all, you know, as RuPaul says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. Um, fuck. I don't love RuPaul as much as I'm insinuating. It. <laughs> I think RuPaul is, uh, an incredibly shrewd man. Yeah, I think RuPaul is incredible. I think I think RuPaul's everything Ru does. I think Jesus, that's a good idea. Yeah, the positioning. Oh, the position from the word go. America's next drag, you know, America's drag superstar, America's drag supermodel. Yeah, to then the fact of like being the queen, the mama queen in yeah. charge of everyone else. Well, I get to frame and position you. And- yeah, and it's just like and making people take this insane thing so seriously, like making people bore because it is their lives. Like people, yeah. and a, a, quite often they come from very broken situations, and so they've had to create these drag characters to. Be, be this powerful person yeah and they um, episode 8 we normally find that out yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. someone is, comes out as trans or they've got HIV or there's and it is interesting they always seem to mix in and I guess in a way like it's what I try and do as well like with these dumb concepts like you know um, clever uniqueness nerve and talent mm-hmm. spells out cunt um, and so but then also having these insane episodes where they're talking about people have these horrific things happen in life in a weird way that's kind of what i try to do is like be like dick dick here are my dick jokes here are my dick jokes also here's a horrific thing that happened dick dick like just trying to mix up so people are kind of off their guard but they're not uncomfortable and does it does it help to do that does it help you process are there are there horrific things as you put it in your past which have Um, been what are there and if there were has using this helped? Has it been therapeutic? Not really. I mean, no. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that thinks like just stage time. You've got to get stage time, and it's it's just cheap therapy. No, like go to a therapist. Um, but it does. You know, yeah. I've had like I talk about in the show, like anxiety and depression and um, eating disorder and um, yeah, like stuff. And yeah, like it does. It being able to make jokes about it. It doesn't help me. But I would hope that maybe it's a little bit stigma raising and like I would like I would wager that I'm one of the like and I don't talk about it for it's only about five minutes of the show 
but I would wager I'm one of the first like men to talk about an eating disorder in a while. And I think the outfit and the look helps me do that in some way. It's the same as say, like, I mean, I won't talk about the details of it, but like Richard Gadd's show this year is a very similar, I mean, not a very, very different situation mm-hmm. and yeah. very different proposition. And, but it's, um, it's like using theatrics to like deal with a horrific thing. And uh, absolutely. And I think if you're using the theatrics to deal with the horrific thing, yeah. does it deal with it? Is there an element to which... I mean I, I mean, I think the words healing and therapy and those kind of words, it's very easy to sort of look down on those terms. Mm. No one wants to go like... Like exactly as you said, no one wants to go, you know, say, you know I'm doing therapy yeah. on stage. That, that's the worst thing a critic can level at. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, keep it yourself. Um, Only but, because it's just that, you know, like, it's the thing that I, I, to me is very rookie, kind of like someone on stage at a shitty open mic room talking about their girlfriend breaking up with them and not a joke in sight. Sure, like, sure, sure. Come on, mate. But if we call that one end of the spectrum, yeah. you talking about bulimia on stage in a nuanced and deft and very funny and painful way. Mm. Yeah, that's, that, you know, we're, we're talking about two different things. Yeah. So I'm going to ask the question again. All right. Is that, does it help? Is there a sense through which... I, I, through I which mean, you you go, hey, I'm, you're some you're somehow shriven by having been able to own it. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's some way that you could say I'm. I did just throw shriven in there. I I'm know. Just, I'm just slightly disavowing. Yeah, it was good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, David Schwimmer. Uh, <laughs> um, the yeah, I mean, look, but it's the same as coming about anything. It's it helps lift something off your shoulders. But it wasn't like I was walking around going like I you know I came out about it quite a few years ago and have talked about it. But I think it, it definitely... I've wanted to talk about it on stage for a while, but never really had the material for it. And not that I really do now. Like, it's just... Yeah, as I say, it's five minutes of the show. But yes, it does... It, uh, uh, yes. Then yes, it, I guess it does help, but not as much as therapy and other situations have. Sure. Um, but no, like, it feels good to be out of people... I like... And I even, like, within the five minutes, I will say, like, there's a joke... Um, that gets a laugh, but it's one of those laughs where they go, huh, oh, oh, and I've started calling people out for it and going, no, you can laugh at this, it's fine. And, like, that is being able to almost put an audience in a hostage situation where they go, oh, no, maybe this is funny, maybe we can laugh at this. And then they, hopefully, the 100 people that are in there will then think differently about it in some weird, obscure way. Yes. I, well, I totally agree. I think um, I think I get very frustrated when people, either people I'm talking to, other comics, interviews, whatever, when people sort of act as if their act exists in a bubble and has no effect. Like, yeah, okay, obviously you doing one, or someone doing one joke about something isn't going to end homophobia. It's no. And so-and-so. But of course it has an effect for the people in the room. Yeah. Even if it's one of a million experiences that each individual audience member undergoes in their entire life it just flicks the switch left or right tolerance or not you know and that's what I like like what I try and do because my spots can be kind of different to my shows not too much different like they're all pretty I talk very quickly but they're a lot more boiled down my spot of awesome yeah well when I saw you at Max Watts you I realised watching the show you kind of hit beginning three beats in the middle end it was like bang 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 that's kind of like a tiny like 
like yeah. the core of the show almost. Yeah, I, I just mimed some sort of yeah, ice good. design that I'm not aware of. It was almost like like a like jail bath or something. You well, like in all, I was sort down. of meaning like a, a, I think I was visualizing when scientists drill down. Oh yeah, ice. yeah. What do they yeah. call that? Um, yeah, something. I, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll know. get there. But I interrupted you. You're making the point. And the difference between your spots and your set. Yeah, and um, and I make like I would say my spots are probably a lot broader, and that's because I do like a lot of yeah rural touring, and I like being in some of these towns. Like imagine like Middle Australia, um, some of the I'm like I'm by far the gayest thing they've ever seen in their lives, and I kind of like that. And I can turn up turn it up where I in order to survive in these shows be exactly what those people think a gay person is, but I sprinkle in. Here are some jokes about homophobia that are going to hopefully make you realise what you're thinking is wrong. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, do you? I'm trying to. And talking about things like writing joke jokes about anxiety and things and doing them to a country town. Yes, is very satisfying to me. Yes, and doing things I, about absolutely shouting at someone um, from a car and getting getting like getting an audience to laugh at something that they've probably done before. Yes, is very satisfying. And do you, is there a cost to you when you when you camp it further up? Um, your, do, you, do you see what I'm just saying? Yeah, I, I don't yeah, quite yeah. how to sort of sensitively ask this, but yeah, no. is there an aspect to which you're kind of doing gay face? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? totally. Oh, it's like because um, I'm a camp guy anyway. Like I'm 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 very like I've got a lisp and I use my hands a lot and I'm like over the top in real life, but. Yes, I would have. Yes, and it does feel a bit shit sometimes having to do it, but it's that it is. A, it's a cost that I'm happy to pay to be able to then be on television and be actually me and do what, like exactly the material that I want. Like we've all been at a gig where you've gone, I'm going to do that bit from two years ago that I don't always agree. Like I don't agree with the politics of it necessarily anymore, but it's going to get me through this gig. And it's going to make these people... And almost using those... I'll camp it up. Say I'm doing half an hour or an hour. I will be very camp and do some pretty broad jokes at the start and then slowly start talking about... And so by the end of it, I've got them laughing at me. Um, you on know, your like, terms. Yeah, on my terms. Yeah. yeah. Which is... It took me... It's taken me a long time to learn how to do that. I was just very shouty for a long time. So talk to me about the, about the origins of your act then how did you get into stand-up in the first place um i'm one of those people that i just always wanted to do it like always i've got all the vhs's lined up in my family home of like all the melbourne galas and the montreal galas and um and yeah i finished school i did my first stand-up when i was uh 16 17 i like i got the train down with my friend ella to sydney from newcastle where i grew up and did it for the and was had that annoying thing where I was kind of, we snuck into a bar and kind of, like I kind of went okay, but they were probably just nice to me because I was clearly a 16 year old child. And what was the act then? What was the, um, it was camp, like a similar, probably closer to what I do now. But then over the next kind of two or three years, I tried, you know, that where you kind of pretend to be your favorite comedian for a while. And at the time I loved Sarah Silverman who I, I still do, but very different to what I do now. Like, and so I used to stand there and just say caustic, horrible things where what she does, her early career at least, took her 10, 15 years to learn how to do that. 
And so then I'm a 19-year-old trying to <laughs> do, like... even just say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just saying, like, and just saying brutal, like, AIDS jokes and blah, blah, blah. Because it's what I thought... It's what the comedian that I wanted to be. And then I started discovering, like, Maria Bamford and Paul F. Tompkins. And, like, they're the kind of two... And we don't do anything similar, but they're my two favourite comedians. They kind of formed me, <laughs> I think, just because the way that Maria talks about mental illness and stuff, but with crazy voices and does her jokes quite odd like they're very weird kind of whimsical she does weird little asides which is something that i've always tried to do um like mumbling things as she's taking a sip or something and um yeah i mean whimsical sort of isn't the word for bamford is it she's no like, that's a bit of material she has about on ask me about my new god which is yeah. one of the ultimate oh. best titles for anything <laughs> the thing about oh which bit were you going to well say? i was going to say the, making the rabbit face on your own yeah face. yeah yeah and the well, I think the most the, is in that bit. Uh, she's talking about uh, soldiers killing themselves um, when they get home more than when they're at war. And she starts laughing hysterically, and you can hear the audience like being uncomfortable. And she says, "Sorry, I'm only just laughing because it must be a joke because no one seems to be taking it seriously." Yeah. And it's just this real like she's just been doing all these dumb, silly jokes, like great jokes, but. It's a lot it's of silliness. Good, really goofy. Silly, goofy jokes, and then, yeah. like, bam, soldiers are killing themselves. We need to invest more in mental illness in this country. Like, just things like that. And her whole, um, like, I saw her in Montreal last year. And, like, as she walked out, and I'm not an emotional person, not a cry, and I started crying <laughs> when she walked out because I was like, I'm seeing her. Yeah. This is very odd. Um, I was sitting with my friend Rebecca, and she was like, looking, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I saw um, that show. It yeah. was incredible. And to see her to see her now coping with her success and her perceived yeah. success, like publicly coping, material about coping with yes. the fact that now she's apparently successful. Yeah. Was just superb. Guys, I don't wanna be I didn't want to do this show tonight. Yeah, that's the line. Yeah. That's the line. Yeah. It's just astounding. Like she's just and yeah, I, I I met her once really briefly a few years ago here in Melbourne and I just, <laughs> I would have been maybe 20 or something and was just like, couldn't stop just staring at it. It was very, I think I was, it was like I was doing a Marie Bamford impression at her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she gets that a lot. So you're, so you'd seen a load of comedy, you're wanting to be a comedian kid. Were you funny in school? Definitely tried to be. Um... I was, like, I was maybe ahead, like, because, again, my parent, like, I saw all these, all my references were kind of wrong, I think, for my age. And not, I'm not saying, like, I was smarter than I'm saying I just was more interested in, yeah, the Rocky Horror and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and, like, that era of things. And so... Um, I remember I used to watch over and over and over again the DVDs of the Secret Policeman's Ball. Yeah, like just over and them. over yeah, yeah, yeah. and over the and just with, and was constantly and I love like another weird reference it was like Thirty Rock, which is an amazing show, but no one at my school they were all watching. You know, I don't know, like what's 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 a horrible Chuck Law show. Um, anyway, so I was and so I was I maybe had like three or four friends that were also interested in those things. And I was quite overweight and very pimply. And so I think I was just annoying. But I was trying to... I so wanted to be the class clown, but I just was not. And then when I got a bit older, I kind of was, and I got a bit more confident. And was it confidence? Was that... Were there any other changes in between? I'm just thinking, if anyone's listening to this that is currently the wannabe class clown that you were yeah. who kind of relates to that and goes oh, no one gets me and I'm not happy and I'm not this if yeah. there is anyone in that position listening 
what was it that how did you change what you were doing socially such that you did become funnier i think um i don't know i don't know what it because it's i even say in the show like i didn't even realize things which like i just suddenly found myself to be kind of funnier people kind of thought i was funny suddenly i think it's just maybe my references caught up or i mean i don't know whether i probably made some sacrifices of like well okay maybe don't always say that thing or maybe don't maybe let's try and work a little more on the mainstream (laughs) um is it was it to do with need was it to do yeah, with I was desperation like survival as well? I mean, oh, I mean, in terms of like, were you less needy? Did you were you probably were you funnier because you yeah. were less needy? Probably, like, it would have come from confidence of like, and me not being so like, come on, guys, please laugh at this. Yeah, I probably just yeah was maybe just a bit more comfortable in myself. Well, they thought I was. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm not giving a good answer to this. Um, That's all right. But I'm just trying to. I've never asked that before of anyone, actually. I just, you, you summed up so well. And particularly last night, what was really eye-opening, and someone else, uh, John Robbins, mentioned something in the same vein, not quite the same. But very rarely do you hear someone admit to, yeah, I was bullied. Maybe I wasn't the nicest kid to other people. No, I was, yeah. I, I was, yeah, at least in the last year of school, I became, yeah, because suddenly you rise up the ranks a little bit, if you're lucky enough for that to happen. But... With, with great power comes great responsibilities, Jim. Which you um, neglected. Yeah, yeah. People's and I became it. horrible. Um, I mean, I wasn't... I, I talk it up a little bit more on the show, that I, but I was a bully to other people. It's that thing of, you know, the... Um, I probably would have... I think it was more just I joined in. I wasn't singling out people. But it's like, you know that thing where you, you've got a cousin who, when it's just the two of you, you were, like, best friends, and then as soon as all the other older cousins were around, suddenly you were the one being teased. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd do that probably more. Like, if, if I was one-on-one with person, we'd hang out and it'd be great, but if there was a group of us, I'd join in on the te- teasing. Snake. I know. It's horrible, <laughs> isn't it? It's horrible. And I had, to, like, and, yeah, and I, I, that's what, and it's one of my main things now is just to be nice it's so easy in this industry not like to it's so easy in this industry to be nice and learn everyone's name and be likable and like not a cunt and there's so many cunts in this industry and it's my main thing to just not be like so I'm trying I'm not I, at least in the last few years I've made a very conscious decision to stop bitching and just work on my own thing yeah. So where? Well, okay. So two two more kind of bigger topics that I want to cover. Let's talk yeah. about your writing. You talked about yeah. going on stage, doing new material in overalls. Yeah. Um, what does your writing process look like? Are you a sit down, write it out person? To a le- like. So with my shows, I write them, and my partner Kyron um, directs them, or like help because I'm not good at. I'm, I can write a joke, and I can write a bunch of jokes. I can write routines. He's better at. I'm not good at... I panic looking at the whole thing and going, is this a show? How is this a show? And so he will look, go through the material with me and say, well, this is the theme. This is clearly what the theme is. And then we talk about it and do it on a whiteboard and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's interesting um, because the, 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 the structure of your show last night was absolutely bomb-proof. It was great. Oh, the, the the recurring callback about the family motto. Yeah, and uh, I'm you know I don't want to get too detailed. With it. I don't want to turn off people listening who don't have the opportunity to see it. Although you will be at Edinburgh, so people Whee! can see there. Um, 
but structurally the, like I was I was really I, I came out and I said to my partner that was so easy to enjoy it was so oh, easy good. it was like Thank look you. at look at this look at the character look at the jokes look at the one liners it's all meaningful it all comes from somewhere it's saying something it's constantly funny and look all the writing is like a parquet floor look how yeah. beautiful it dovetails together and it's not and it's not like that for a long time <laughs> yeah it's yeah because I'm not a good um I do a lot of 35-minute trial shows that don't feel good in that... Why 35? Well, well, I don't know. They always seem to... The first few always seem <laughs> to... Because I fail. Yeah, <laughs> seem to level up to that. Um, like, uh, I mean, I'm not... A, I write on, I write on my laptop, but probably my, my shows... If you were to read them out, the text of them would only level up to maybe, yeah, about 35 minutes probably. But I write... I go on stage and I do trial like I, I do Perth Fringe and I, I every year and I call the show these are my new jokes no refunds and the tickets are like five bucks and people just come and watch me do 50 minutes of fuck about fuck around and um uh yeah it's it's I, I, I ride on stage now I've had to kind of accept that <laughs> that that's what I do like I take the punchline and I'll just talk around it for as long as I possibly can okay. and then get to it and I'm I'm I try and um, on stage, I like just that's where all the asides come from because I like just like squeezing a joke. Absolutely, like, you're just, like Matt Kirshen for tags. yeah, tag, 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 yeah, tag, tag, tag. just like anything I can get out of it, and I will do it like that. And they grow over the course of the show. Usually, I'll come into Melbourne with about a 55, 54 minute show. By the time it's in Edinburgh, it can get to like an hour and five, and so I have to start cutting it back. But yes, because it just keeps. And what is that? What is that technique of ringing out? Can you like? Can you give us an example of a, a bit that you've done that with, where you've like you've gone? Okay, I um, know this is the punchline. Uh well, I say it's even it's it'd be more just kind of in stories, like say maybe with either the blowjob story or like it just keep it it would with the, on the tennis court. It used to just be I went to this party, I met this guy, and then the blowjob was the okay. was the main bit. But then it just turns into these. It's that's not a great example. But um, uh, okay, there was a joke in last year's show that I did at the spot the other night that you saw that was um, about how I don't. Uh, I'm I'm quite new to weed, and I started smoking weed, but I've always been a late bloomer, and I listed the reasons of why I was a late bloomer, and then it got to the, and it happened on stage where I, I said um I I was a little bit a late bloomer, but um. I'm telling you, I'm butchering my own material. Um, I've always been a late bloomer, but my, uh, but I've always made up for lost time. And so, say, like, when I had my first sip of alcohol, I was 17, which is quite late, but I made up for lost time. I drank nine spin-off double blacks, which are these horrible alcohol drinks. I didn't have a cigarette until I was 18, but I smoked a packet of Marlboro Reds. Oh, and I lost my virginity when I was 16, which is quite late in Newcastle, but I lost it to a guy that had a penis that could easily feed a family of four. And that, that was the joke. And then on stage one night, I said, like, like, this is how big that dick was. It didn't just take my virginity. It put my virginity in the back of a car, drove to the outskirts of town, threw it out, and said, if you come back, I'm going to hurt your fucking family. And that was just like an ad lib or something. And there was another one in there that was like, it came with a side of a garlic bread and a V-netta. <laughs> I remember like, it, a V-netta joke. It just yeah, keeps like, I, I don't know. It's, this is a bad example of it, but I just, I'll go like punchline and then I'll just keep going. And try and going to say the same going. thing and get, try to go, okay. I like repetition a, a lot. So there we go. This We're on... This is how big the how big yeah. the dick was, and then I try like version, 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 version. If I'm on a roll, which is a lot of my act, like like guys, guys, like I talk really quickly and I get really worked up, 
like say I was, there's a bit where I'm, and not all my material is this, is this sexual but like um, we went to the sex shop uh, and there was things in that place that did not fit in my vision let alone like my person which used which to be just which is, my, which is what yeah, I call yeah. my partner by the way <laughs> and that was just like a little ad-lit. and then so then that gets locked down and then um, like we went to and there was like a wall of rubber fits like a wall of them like it looked like a climbing wall like it looked like that scene in the labyrinth like 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 which is just a stupid reference that yeah no one absolutely ever gets. and but, well no I, I got it and I've also appreciated that you were doing a brief uh, yeah, volume of that yeah, one for the like, slow kids yeah uh, <laughs> um but yeah, just constantly little like every. I feel like every sentence should have. When I'm in a role like that, if I'm not doing, um, exposition, I guess is the only way to work. But if I'm not doing, moving a story forward or something, there should be something funny in there. In my mind, I like just little tiny jo- and even if it's just a noise, I just like. I like the. I like dumb shit. I like, just people. Just I, I, as as many jokes as possible. And does the character, does the does the the drag, if you like, that mm. voice, does that make it easier for you to write on stage? Yes, because you because the voice is so clear. Yes, that's exactly probably what it is. Yeah, it's um, and I can go off on these very odd tangents. Like for example, like there's a joke, um. Uh, that my mother hates because it is not like I've also created this kind of I've had to start explaining to my parents when I talk about you guys on stage it's not really you it's who it's what the audience expects my family life is like which is most of a lot of but say for example like um, my mother would always say I don't know Reese. it was the late 80s I don't know who he is which suddenly paints this picture of like but no my parents are very much together I know exactly who my father is and we have a lovely relationship okay. and they're very supportive but I just like little twists and the character can get away with that because you do and I talk about being poor all the time but I'm really well like overly dressed yes. up yes. so you're like what is this guy's backstory like yeah. how did how yeah did, yeah yeah but that, that kind of contributes to the archetypal nature of it doesn't it yeah I think yeah and so I like um, I forget how I started talking about that um, just the what was the question? I genuinely forgot God, what I was I talking about. Either. I know, I hate getting called on what the question was because I always forget it a second after I ask it. Uh, does it make it easier to improvise? Yes. In that character? Yes. Then yes. Like it's because the character is clear. Like he has, in a weird way, he has boundaries but doesn't have bound. Like I, he, I under, and I'm still saying, I've never said he before. Yeah, now, yeah, now sorry. You said it me. once and you've now I've... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, We've got the scoop on Nicholson. What I do, yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even gay. <laughs> um, my wife hates my act. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, it definitely makes it more opportunities because you believe... It's, uh, without wanting to sound like an absolute dick, I think the, it makes me exotic. Do you know what I mean? Like, I... I can go off on these tangents about things because you don't really understand where I'm from. <laughs> or, I don't know if I have, I'm trying to work out how to crystallise this yes, statement. Yes, yes, I think I get what you mean. Like, I can, like, almost, and I'm reading way too much into this now, but almost, not otherworldly, but I can have these very odd opinions. Like, the joke about the Ivan Milat joke, the joke about the serial killer is not something a straight white man in a plaid shirt can say. But by me, I'm suddenly like this... What, what's the word? What's the French word? The um, affront? Uh, an enfant terrible? No, no the, like, it means... In French, it means, like, mischievous child or something. It's, like, a nice word. Anyways, 
I, it got said in a review once, and I was like, "Well, that's what I want to be forever now." Like I can, okay. I can be naughty, but in a way that you're like, "No, yes," because of the look. Yes, and I wonder what it is about the look that says that. Because I think for all the look has power because of the cut of the suit and the deliberateness. And yeah, the I feel fact like I'm focusing clearly... a lot on the look more. No, no, no. I am. I am. Um, for all that the look has a lot of power to it, also the look allows you to be I think I don't know I came up with a pet theory there just to do with like if you want to be the naughty child that's allowed to say stuff mm. the look contributes to that by way of the look also has vulnerability as well as mm. power it's there is this sense I wonder is there a sense that in order to be on stage you have to do that yeah. you have to do that to yourself that yes. must be uncomfortable it must yes. be inconvenient and, and so you you buy yourself it's. I think the. I was talking to my partner about this the other day. Oh no, it was a while ago. I like the the character almost is someone who is just about to fall apart. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like this, yes. like clinging to like like show businesses, and it, it is that same that Joan Crawford, that kind of brittle. Yeah, just like everything is fine, but then we're throwing in little lines like um, maybe she's born with it, maybe it's low self esteem, like mm-hmm. letting them know that but like oh no behind this some there's some sadness <laughs> but hey show business it's that yeah brutal show business so are you currently undergoing therapy or have no. you finished with that for now? no I've, like and I went a little bit I'm more um I'm pretty self-sufficient I went for a bit and kind of did the I've got the the, the coping mechanisms um yeah, and it's it's been I've, my anxiety itself has gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. In a similar way, I would say I was talking to Flick Ward about it once, and we we're both saying like, yeah, there are times when, uh, like, yeah, I haven't had a panic attack in probably six months or something, which is a bit where I was there was about a year or two there where I was having them almost daily, and so that was very kind of um, like an, out of nowhere, <laughs> the fridge wouldn't see, and I'd be like, oh god, and mm-hmm. start bored. Um which was not very conducive to, and it was um, my partner was he, he is he is stuck to his guns mm. um, I remember there would be times yeah I'd just be like bawling on the couch and stuff and he just like not understanding what's going on and you don't want to be touched to that point so you're like don't touch me and like oh okay mm. um, but no I'm like I think you know it happens like when things like the debate was on the other day which is like this big TV thing and I got pretty close I was pretty Stressed, I can feel it. I think what it is, I know it, how to deal with it now. It's like, I remember a therapist explaining it to me really well once about, um, uh, and I kind of, the, you know, if you're greening out on weed, like <laughs> if you smoke too much weed and you go, I'm greening out right now. We used to call that a whitey in my day. A whitey, yeah. Yeah, yeah on. Yeah. When you like, but the way that you get out of it is you go, like you deal with it. Like you, as in you kind of, you accept that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that way it kind of takes... That's what I, I can do. I can somehow do that with anxiety now, where if I can feel a panic attack going, it's like, oh, no. But you just let it kind of... Which is a really easy way to... I realise this, this is very easy to say and not... It's sure. taken me a sure, long time sure. to... But it's, if it's working for you, then it's... Yeah, exactly. This is, this is my truth. <laughs> um, yeah, so... But I'm, I'm definitely a lot better than I was. You know, I didn't want to cut you off. I didn't want you to think that what you said there wasn't... 
no. worthwhile because no, no. there definitely will be people listening to this who have panic attacks. So yeah. that idea, just to stay with that for a second, that idea of kind of not surrendering to it, but kind no. of taking away the... Saying that, I'm having a panic attack right now. Yes, yeah, okay, yeah. Don't, taking away the element of it which taking is away the, based what's on happening, your resistance to what's it. What's happening? Yes, okay. Like, the just going like, oh, this is going to be awful for about 10 minutes. And, it, and then it, and it fucks the rest of your day as well. But, um... Because you're just moody, but uh, yeah, like it's it was a it was a and it was, it's so annoying that it just took one sentence for a therapist to say, "Oh, yeah. this is what happens now." And also, I've um, I've, I'm sli- I, I used to sleep for about four hours a night because I thought I was Margaret Thatcher, but um, I uh, I sleep a lot more now because I've I used to get home from shows blind drunk so I could go to sleep, and now I. Smoke a little joint out the window, and it, and I go to sleep. Like, I don't like being stoned. I don't touch drugs any other time. Um, but now I sleep, you know, eight eight hours a night, and that changed my life. So stupid, what sleep changes? <laughs> like suddenly, just sleeping for eight hours a night meant I wasn't wide-eyed and crazy the rest of the day. Like I'd be, yeah, there'd be nights that I would sleep, yeah, three hours, four hours, and do that for a week, and just get crazier and crazier. I'm sure you with a with a baby at the moment. You were very similar to that. I was trying very hard not to start crying when you said eight hours a night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm doing fine. I'm doing yeah. fine. I'm getting, I'm getting good sleep. Just less. Anxiety than I'm just feels like to. having a baby. Jesus Christ! <laughs> the the I knew that would be the most frightening aspect of parenthood for me would be the lack of sleep. Because yeah. I identified many years ago that if I don't get eight hours a night, I'm that is a huge trigger point for me to get depressed and anxious. Yes. And, uh, and luckily we work in an industry with just really easy hours <laughs> and they work around a baby really well. Very and easy, very easy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was very lucky to have that kind of support from an excellent partner who would kind of, who is now able to say, look, I'm tired, but I know that, you know, this is me being her. She yeah. will say that she is tired, but she knows that she can cope with being tired, whereas I'm falling to bits, so... You know, yeah. Stu, you have to go and sleep now. Yeah. And uh, I'm very grateful for that, and I really wanted to continue. Yeah. And she's um, very pretty. I met her. She's very pretty. She's very pretty lady. Pretty lady. Yeah. Um, have you met my baby? You haven't met my baby? No, I haven't met the baby. Very pretty baby. Yeah. Uh-huh. As you can imagine. Very I mean, we've been pretty. talking on the phone, but... Uh, <laughs> so, talk to me then about... <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I just don't <laughs> What were you expecting me to I don't know. <laughs> Um, Drapes. No, I don't know. <laughs> Talk to me about what you want out of comedy. Oh no, money. No, um, um, yeah, money. money is a valid answer. I mean, money no is the one, one ever says money. I mean, I would say I'm. I don't mind being commercially viable, uh, but I'm definitely not. You know, there are choices that I could have made in the past that would have made me a lot more commercially viable and would have made me famous by now. What sort of choices? Well, just like, do you want to do this television program that you do not agree with in any way whatsoever but will be on prime time? You're like, no. Nah. Like, I, I, I remember I was once, I was on the shortlist once to be on one of those celebrity reality shows. One of the bad ones, not one of the big famous ones, but it was like, the money was quite good and, the, and it was either that or do Edinburgh. Where it was either like, do you want all this money or do you want to set this money on fire mm-hmm. in another country? And I decided to set that money on fire in another country because I knew that it would, it's where I want to end up and it's where I want to, like, I like the UK and I wanted to continue. And it was like, I think my third year in Edinburgh, so I didn't want to stop it. And anyway, then watching that show a year later was like, I'm glad I was not involved in that. But um, yeah, I, um, but no, I do, I also 
am very aware of I'm not one of those people that's like uh, like we, this is a job you gotta make money out of it like you gotta support and eat and you can't just be like a I'm an artist <laughs> your whole life um because uh, it don't pay no bills, um, and uh, and I think also because I, I grew up in a, like my parents were very we were very poor when I grew up, and so it makes me like your I, parents were artists, you said. Yeah, and then when I was about when I was younger, when I wasn't like when I was a toddler, we we lived in like this, uh, which sounds crazy in retrospect, because my dad's a ceramicist and my mum's a ceramicist and painter, and she's an art teacher. Oh, she's a principal of a school now very quick turnaround um, uh, but uh, we lived in this uh, dilapidated cinema Art Deco cinema my sister and them there was no proper bath it was like a big studio like a, I, we used to call it the factory like Andy Warhol's factory um, but there were these huge glazing buckets that he would fill up with hot water and it was on wheels and so he would my dad would like wheel my sister and I in the bath next to the wheel like his pottery wheel and like work while we just sat in the bath with him in this like huge I had these really odd memories because I was like four maybe of this yeah huge huge space and it was like when it would rain water would be pouring in um it's since been demolished I think uh and then we lived in this tiny house and then my parents went bankrupt so we moved in with my grandmother so my grandmother raised me for part of my life so I, but I have this like my family we, we had kind of put into us like work like hustle always hustle so I'm always like trying to get work like I don't like I don't take days off during festivals and I don't and I try and get as many gigs night by night as I possibly can and I will say yes to most gigs if I agree with the conceit of it but also it's a pretend job so it's like hustle in this pretend job and do you have a side hustle porn now um imagine what a funny thing to find out uh no like I make I do crafts that I sell merch that oh I, I remember I've just remembered yeah. your phone case from a, a year or two yeah. ago I think and uh, I've do got, you still have that I've got um, I've got an Angela Lansbury one I've got this is a Tilda Swinton one that I've hidden myself in <laughs> um, so you sell and I make jewellery like I make brooches and I used to make bow ties but I just don't have time anymore um, and the, the phone case for the people unable to see it is uh, um, it's a whole it's bunch like, of and look it's definitely illegal what I've done here <laughs> Um, You've cribbed a load of pictures of Tilda Swinton and the put them on the back of a phone, collage them, and then people can buy this as your merch on Redbubble. Yeah, um, <laughs> so stupid. And I have like T-shirts with like Angela Lansbury on them, and I don't know why I'm upset. Every I've started doing this thing in the last three shows or two shows where I try and get a murder she wrote reference in there somewhere, and I just want someone to notice. Like, and now I've pointed it out, but. Um, yeah, like to one day just watch them all in a row and go, wait a minute. <laughs> At some point he brings up Angela Lansbury. He's confessing to yeah. something. Dun, 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 dun. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I don't really have like a side hustle because this kind of takes up a lot of the time. I'm the bane of my partner's existence sometimes because he's, say after Edinburgh, he's like, we should go on a trip. You've been touring for six months. I'd be like, like, but in my mind like the touring is the trip like in my mind I've just been got to go to England and, and mm-hmm. Scotland why would I stop what? why don't you want to uh, come on one of these working holidays yeah with me yeah. Yeah, yeah where I sit almost in tears in a tiny rainy <laughs> apartment um, 
Yeah, I just don't like the... And my family weren't much... We weren't much of the holiday kind of family, whereas my my partner, his family kind of was. And I'm not saying anything. It's just two different types of families. Um, he ca- he comes from money. Not, not bazillions of money, but, like, more comfortable growing up. So we have very different understandings of, like, um, I panic if I'm not... Like, but then how will we pay for that? He's like, with the money we've saved up from all the other work. Yeah. It's like, no, but then... But then something else will come up. What if what if the house catches on fire? Yeah. Um, and so he's a bit more like everything's fine. Like no, um, yeah. So ten years from now, best case scenario. Oh yeah, what, what do I want from comedy? Like? That's right. You asked me that about ten minutes ago. Um, I like the idea at the moment. I'm not. I'm like I don't think I. In my fantasy brain, I have a sitcom, but I can't act, and I don't think I would be good at writing it. But you know, there's that confidence I'm known for. Um, I would love to have a talk show, like a Graham Norton style kind of, because um, he's quite brutal on that show, but so likable. I think Graham Norton has that as well. He's got that. He could say some heinous things to people, absolutely, and they and it just washes over them, absolutely. Like just the that whole red chair conceit is. It's magical. Brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. These peop- old elderly women telling this story about when they're on safari once and then suddenly um, Harrison Ford is flipping their chair and everybody laughs. It's amazing. And he's cultivated this whole thing. Yeah. Um, could, that, is- could that sit with the, the suit, the look? Sorry, I was trying not to say the character. Yeah. The look. Would that sit with the look? Could you, could you sit on the same couch? I guess, I mean, you're right, aren't you? Like, he's, because he's very, someone like Graham is very, like, he's human. He's very human, I think. But also, you don't know anything about him. I find that quite interesting. I don't know whether it's different in the UK, but, like, does he have a partner? How old is he? Sure. What are his views politically? Like, it's very interesting. That's a really good point. I didn't notice that, uh, I didn't notice that I didn't know that. Yeah, whereas you look at maybe, say, some of the big American ones... You know exactly what their politics are. You knew exactly what David Letterman was thinking the entire time, almost mm. too much, when he was like, um, "Where the I, and I really yeah like Conan." You kind of get an idea as well, but yeah, you know nothing about the really brilliant ones. You know nothing about. I think so. Talk so show. I would like a talk show or just like a dumb. I never want to stop doing stand up. It's my like I'm not. It's one of the. Like, it's not like I'm being offered TV shows or anything, but I, I, I never want to be one of those people that, like, suddenly starts hosting a quiz and never does stand-up again and comes back in 10 years and they're just not good anymore. There's a guy... There's like, say, Dave Hughes is a guy in this country who is a very well-known comic and could have easily stopped doing comedy years ago, but he's still really good because he just... There was a time where he was doing a breakfast radio show, a nighttime kind of um, news comedy show... And gigs most nights. I don't know how he was hanging out with his four children, but and he remains to be fucking sharp, and he's a multi-millionaire. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I just I never want to stop doing stand-up. I want to do. I want to be able to be able to play to small theaters just when I want and put on shows that I enjoy doing and release albums and stuff. And yeah, do things more in my terms. I'd imagine. A couple of quickies to finish off. Yeah. Again. Uh, who in the comedy world, which fellow comedian, would it be most narratively satisfying if you were killed by them? 
Probably an internet sensation. Um, um, what do you mean? So if I was murdered by them, yeah, because they see me as a threat, or just so I'm like, oh, um, I would like to be involved in a murder suicide uh, with. Oh, what about maybe maybe like me and Maria take. No, take some arsenic pills a la Hitler and Ava Braun. <laughs> Just you'll find us in a bunker somewhere. What's the worst idea for a joke you've had recently? Oh, recently. Um, I don't know, recently. Um, or, or ever. The Do you worst... know what I mean when you've gone like, oh, that's, an, oh, that's not a good idea? Yeah, definitely like... Uh, Oh, I had like a, and this is like a kind of just mundane one, but I had a joke. I was writing for this debate thing the other day and the argument was, and it was that thing as well where I thought of it in the middle of the night and wrote it down in my phone and it didn't wake me up or anything. I was laying there thinking about it and I was like, oh, that's probably a good idea. And I genuinely, over the course of the next 10 minutes, was like, that's a really fucking good line. Woke up the next morning and went, what? Um, the, uh, the dumb, just really mundane joke about how, because the debate was you have to fake news to make news, and we were arguing against that, so we were saying that truth was better. And I was trying to, like, the line was, uh, why watch The Real Housewives of whatever show when you can get on a bus and just watch The Real Housewives of this bus? What? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? It makes no sense. I mean, years ago, the worst thought I've ever had, I think, and this is when I wanted to be a shock comedian when I was, like, 19... There's this horrible, really horrific story about this poor girl in this country who she got hit by a car three separate times in her life, like like as a child, and she's lost limbs out of it. And I wrote it down. I wrote this down. I remember seeing it on the news and thinking, finally, something for pedophiles with amputee fetishes. <laughs> Not even close to funny, Stu. Wow. Not even close. But, like, at the time, I was like, oh, this will get him. And then clearly came to my senses within about 10 minutes. I was like, why do you... But do you remember, like, remember when you're still learning cadences of jokes? And you, if you, I was like, in my head, I was like, if I say something horrific in a cadence, that's a joke. <laughs> Recognising that that is not the case is an important lesson oh, along like, the way. Hey, I tell you what, just to, just to wrap up with them. What other kind of lessons like that have you learned? I mean, I don't like to ask what, what people would... I don't know if I ask any more what yeah. people would... What advice people give younger comedians because it, the advice is always just work, just gig, yeah. work hard, gig hard. Yeah. But what specific lessons can you remember learning that you went, oh, I shouldn't do that or I should try to do more of this? Um, a big one that I learned was never talk down to the audience. Like as in... Like, I started off being very kind of faux confidence on stage and very, like, angry and aggro, and that just doesn't fit what I do. And so just learning not... And, like, always letting... Being on level with the audience or below them. I never... Which even physically in venues, I quite like... Like, the venue that you saw me in last night, I don't like those types of... I like a flat stage with raped seating because you're physically lower than them. Mm-hmm. So you're looking up to them and, like... So are these some ideas that you kind of agree with? Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which is very, you know, I'm probably looking too much into that. But I don't, like, the stage, that stage last night, I think it's too high for comedy. I, when you remarked on that from the stage, I remember thinking, I know what you mean as a fellow professional, but actually from the point of view of a punter, oh, yeah. I've got a really good view of you. Yeah. And I'm, like, ten rows back. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, I'll stop saying <laughs> um, But that and also... Um, 
Yeah, just like the work hard. <laughs> Don't. I'm um, just be nice. Just be nice. Learn learn text names. Learn. Be nice to bar staff. Be. I worked in ticketing for years, and people were such cunts, and it really taught me to like just be nice to everyone. You know, not in a way to your to your detriment. If someone's not nice to you, you know, deal with it. But it's so easy to be nice. <laughs> In this, and, it, and I think that will get you way further and not in a creepy way not like don't hug everyone or something don't climb not like, like a gross climber but just be happy to be places don't constantly be complaining about the audience because I hate those people backstage I hate those like oh and, and don't shit backstage in the toilet don't do that so that was Reese. Do check out his show at the Edinburgh Festival if you're going to be there, if you're watching in Australia, if you're watching. What are you doing watching? Nothing's happening. <laughs> if, you're, if you're watching, just focus on something else with your eyes while you listen to this. Then um, you, if you're in Australia, you can uh, get along and, and see him live somewhere. Or as I say, at Edinburgh, do check him out. Uh, his venue information, I'm sure, by now is available on the edfringe.com website. Really, really can't recommend him enough. Very excited to bring you that conversation with him. Now, everyone's a comedian. You can submit your stuff at comedianscomedian.com forward slash experiment. And on uh, a final note before I leave you, thank you, of course, to all the usual people. Thank you to Steve Dunn. Thanks to Daryl Smith, Dan Melrose, Asher Trelevin, all the people that we ordinarily thank. And um, by the time I speak to you next, no, I'll say that in a second. First, if you are someone who has donated, thank you so much. Uh, the donations are trickling in in a subscription kind of way. Those are always nice to see. There's a couple of people, there's more than a couple of you, but less than a lot of you uh, who are uh, supporting the podcast with a regular monthly subscription at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Uh, and occasional uh, uh, one-off donations are trickling in, and I'm very glad to have them when I can. You are the only people that pay for this uh, this podcast. I mean, I should probably point out at this juncture, life's getting pretty expensive at the moment, what with the third mouth to feed and the... I, I feel, I think I mentioned this before, I feel like now I'm touring, I'm in a kind of pay-it-forward phase of my career i'm not making a great deal of money off the tour i'm what i'm hoping is that i'm building stuff that will work in the future you know once i get to the stage of being able to sell out two or three hundred in every venue i do then the margins will hopefully flip and it will become uh, more financially worthwhile we're not there yet we're on the way but we're not there yet so if you are interested in supporting this venture then uh, you can also book me for corporate work <laughs> or you can uh, you can book me at your your high paying gig in an location then do get in touch with me info at comedianscomedian.com and if you're someone who wants to sponsor or advertise on this podcast i'm not at the moment i'm not going down the route of kind of getting in with a, a big agency who who take half the money i don't think that's sensible i've spent five years working on this on my own but if there is anyone out there who advertises their product on podcasts, or if you just want to pretend that you are so that you can get in touch with me and learn my highly confidential and closely guarded uh, listenership numbers, then, uh, then do get in touch and, uh, and let's talk about an occasional advert. I, don't, I hope I'm not sounding too desperate here. I probably am. But I'm, keep, I'm continuing to give this stuff away for free. I hope you all appreciate it. I know that many of you do. And I also know that many of you uh, aren't able to pay. So please don't feel guilty. I'm absolutely not laying a guilt trip on you. If anything, I'm trying to explore other avenues of making uh, money, <laughs> making a big truckload of money from a thing which occupies so very much of my waking life. And that concludes the podcast. 
So, just a quick postamble. By the time I speak to you next, I will be married. I will be wed. <laughs> Dear listener, I, I will have married her. Um, it's pretty great. It's pretty exciting. We, I can't go through my vows without uh, uh, crying. <laughs> I can't listen to any of the songs that we're going to play at the wedding without bursting into tears. The wedding is going to be a solid hour of me weeping. Um, and then I'll have to give some sort of speech with hugely red eyes. Um, I'm, it's so exciting. I, I, maybe did I talk about this before a while ago? I mean, it's, it's very present now in my mind. I used to think that... The wedding was a sort of a, the cherry on top of the cake. The cake being a family involving a child and that kind of, you know, a cemented cake. A very tough, solid, delicious, enduring cake. And I thought, oh, getting married? Well, let's do that as well. Lovely pong. Um, and, uh, and I realized it is obviously it's a, it's a different thing. And you write a vow and you look at the vow and you go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a vow. <laughs> I mean, very infrequently do I vow anything these days, um, if ever. And I'm gonna, I've got a, I've got a big vow coming up. I've got, I mean, occasionally, you know, who hasn't got drunk and sworn some sort of blood oath? But this is a vow. This is, this is different. This is serious stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's nice actually to, I'm not, I don't feel any collie wobbles about it at all. I feel quite calm and confident. I feel a lot of tension about the, uh, the enormous, industrial complex of a of a wedding that we're planning um and i very much hope that that all uh, pays off as she wants it to and i want it to i mean i'd just be happy just getting hitched but um you know i also i want the bride to have everything she wants and uh there's some good gear about that in the new show if you've seen the second half of the tour at any point um but uh anyway i don't know this is this is only brief i've got i've got work to do and uh I just am very happy, and I'm very happy that the next time I speak to you, I should be married. That's very exciting. Um, I'm looking; she's on her hindu at the moment, so I'm looking after the boy. It's uh, uh, Daddy and Boutros time for three days in a row, and um, I can't wait. I actually find it very relaxing. Ha! Scream a thousand solo parents. Relaxing in the sense that when I'm with him, I can't be doing work. I have to appoint, you know. I, I didn't have to, but this specifically, the Hindu, I have put aside everything and I'm doing full on parenting. And actually, it's quite zen to not worry about emails and stuff and actually just go, I'm go we're going to go out tomorrow and have a nice lunch with some friends. And I'm, I'm going to leave my phone at home because I just want to be with the boy. I might take it with me for emergencies, but I'll leave it on airplane mode. I might leave it on in case mum wants to get in touch. I'll check a few emails. Oh, God. Anyway. I'm really looking forward to it. You can probably hear in my voice how uh, happy I am right now. So thank you, all of you, for listening to that and paying attention to it. And I look forward to speaking to you next week when I am Mr. Goldsmith. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.